broadcasting from the confines of an abandoned radio station in the secluded ghost town of High Strangeness, just outside of Area 51. It's time now for full disclosure of the topics they told us were off limits. Hello, everybody. I'm Connie Willis, and this is Coast to Coast AM. Broadcasting from the KOA News Radio Studios of iHeartMedia in Denver, Colorado, home of all sorts of cool things. In fact, one of my favorites is the black cow invented here. Yep, better known as the root beer float. Mmm, one of my favorites. Also, the tallest sand dunes are here. In the country, right here, besides White Sands, there is a star dune. It's over 750 feet. It's at the Great Sand Dunes National Park. I want to go to that one, too. Been to White Sands. Unbelievable. And also, this is home of 1,500 down to 16, or wait a minute, it was 1,500 down to 600. Let me get my numbers straight for you. Of ghost towns still counted for in the mining areas of Colorado. I want to go to those, too. I think those are spooky, and I think E.T. has something to do with them. But right now, time for us to uh, turn off the lights and join me for another interesting evening of conversation. Much needed education and the chance that we might get a little closer to the truth of what lurks amongst us and what is beyond. I'm Connie Willis, and this is Coast to Coast AM. You are listening to Coast to Coast AM. Hi, everybody. I'm Connie Willis. You can catch me on my show. It's Blue Rock Talk with Connie Willis. And I've got a new project out. It's called On the Road with Connie. It is a project for sure. I uh, find uh, all my best friend researchers that have these great active hotspots of Dogman or uh, ETs or I don't know. It's been everything. <laughs> it's been Sasquatch. It's been Sparkles. It's been little people, micro people. You name it. They've seen it. And um, I've really got to get up to somebody up in, I think it's Ontario, Canada, where they saw seven Sasquatch sitting there together at one point. Never heard that one before. I've heard three. I've heard maybe even five, but seven caught like in this like sit down situation. I think they were so amazing stuff. But anyway, I pulled together my friends and they take me to their secret hotspots and I take you there with me on the road with Connie virtually via live chat, via live stream, and um, it's fun. So I hope that you subscribe, join us. Uh, you are a part of it. It's very interactive. It's very participatory. It's the most interactive and particip- participatory network on the planet, and I'm excited about it. So I hope that you'll join us. Go to ontheroadwithconnie.com and subscribe. And by the way, I know a lot of people that go and actually do this. There are actual exhibitions where they take you out, cost you at least a minimum of 500 per person, even $1,000 per person, and that's not including all the things that you do. And you can do that with me. Subscribe with me for a small fee once a month, and we make that happen. And it's fun. Everybody's so enthusiastic, and you also get to guide me and, and tell me what to do, tell me uh, what strategies to use to try to maybe uh, record something better. Or at all, as you guys know, it's very hard to do that. And this also includes ghosts. I know a lot of you guys like ghost houses and things like that. So we'll probably have Waverly Hills in the future and things like that. I know that, uh, you know, basically we camp out anywhere from three to five days or longer. And I like to bring in little cameo people. Randy Randy Travis, I always say that. (laughs) Well, he's starting to sing like him, but um, Travis Walton. Also, um, uh, Jerry Wills. 
and different people like that that want to show up and be a part of it. In fact, the last one, Dennis Fole, was just with us last time on Coast to Coast AM here, and we were talking about the Erickson Project, right? In fact, this weekend he's out on one of those expeditions, and uh, those people are a little higher up in the Rockies than we were last time. And let me tell you, I have seen the the things that are there in less than 10 hours. I saw what I think was a, a dog man at Jason Frank's place um, because of the ears and uh, beams of light, which will never leave you when you see that. It'll never leave you. And it gets more and more sinister daily. I'm just saying from my theory, my point of view, my perspective, and then screams of Sasquatch. Which, by the way, even though they were right there and close by, it, and it was amazing, it was not scary at all. So every vibe I ever get from the Sasquatch are very much like all my woo-woo friends up in the Pacific Northwest. They'll be happy to hear that. Uh, all loving and, and things like that. So that's interesting stuff as you learn. Always listen to what researchers have found out. So anyway, that's on the road with Connie.com. Check it out. And please subscribe. If you need to know any more, you can go to our website and you'll see the links there. So it is a lot of fun. Please remember that I speak at uh, conferences and events and uh, make appearances and MC and do all that kind of stuff. So if you're looking for that or voice work or audio books, that's me. I can do all that stuff. So there you go. Um, other new shows I'm doing is just on my Blue Rock Talk stuff, live, late night live chat, Bigfoot Friday. Far Out Thursdays, those are all coming back, so you guys can join me on that. And thank you very much for caring, supporting me, being there, and being so enthusiastic. If it wasn't for you guys, you know, it's all about Blue Rockers. They are in the know. So back here on Coast to Coast, and thank uh, Coast for always letting me talk about where you can find me as well. I do want to give a shout-out to some of the people that are big-time Coast fans that um, have had a bit of a problem. We had a... Juan Maldonado, huge Coast fan, huge Coast fan, just passed away. Um, Bigfoot fan, Blue Rocker, just, you know, sorry uh, to hear about that loss, as well as uh, Sasquatch Journey, who's been uh, mentioned here a lot and was just here uh, a couple of months ago as well. Um, they had a loss in their family, too. So, Tony, we're thinking about you. And those are the, uh, you know, you always want to mention that kind of stuff because these are the people that make us who we are and uh, why we are here all the time for you. So we want to think about them. And now they have passed on and they know all the answers. And that's how I say it. That's what I think. So we got some great guests tonight. All right. Always, 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 always. But this is fun. Lisa Lyons helped me with uh, my first guest. And... I had said to her, I was looking for somebody that knew what was going on underground. Because since I've been going on my different adventures, especially in the Rockies, when I see these things zip up out of nowhere that are only supposed to be Hollywood, that are only supposed to be in these, you know, kind of sci-fi books or these fake movies, especially from the 50s. um, Well, when I saw them right there in front of me, I thought there's no way, especially the beams of light, that these things came from billions of miles just to come say hi to me. I think they were just kind of cruising, hanging out, and Dad's old, you know, Model T or something like that. And because uh, it sounded, it, I even heard it clank. 
didn't hear it moving, didn't hear it hovering, didn't hear any of that, just, and didn't hear the lights going off and on. Heard a clank, though, which is interesting. But for some reason, when I'm looking at this, I got a impression that, you know, maybe these things are underground and they just come up from underground. Now, I'm not saying even if they come from billions of miles away that, you know, they haven't established themselves somewhere. And, well, maybe I am saying that and maybe or maybe they were here first. I don't know. But I do believe there's a whole world underneath. Do I believe it's hollow? I don't know if it's hollow. Do I believe there's civilizations and all sorts of unbelievable things going on down there? I do. I'm starting to think that way. I just, uh, it's like, where do these things come from? Where do they just pop up out of nowhere? And when you're walking by areas when you hike, because you guys hike, right? You guys are hikers, or at least you, you know when you, or even let's say you're even taking a walk downtown or in your community and you feel a vibe. And you're not, it's not a good vibe. You walk the other way, right? You got to trust yourself. Don't go down that alley, right? I don't feel good about that. Not just because it's an alley. I'm not feeling good about that. There's just certain times you have that vibe, that ambiance. And when I had that last ambiance, it was kind of like this. No, this thing just popped up to see who's here, what's going on, checking it out, and then going to zoom away. So it's kind of at that point, I wanted to know. And talk to some of the people that have researched what's under our feet. And I never thought about that before. And I've heard different um, things about people saying that a Bigfoot, you know, a lot of people say they live in the trees. Some people say they live underground. Some people say they're interdimensional. And what does that mean, you know, interdimensional? Are they all, all interdimensional? Do they just pop into somewhere and pop out? And can they see us when they're in another phase kind of thing? I mean, when I really start asking people what that means, I get a lot of different answers. So it means different things to different people. So that's why I don't always think that somebody knows what you're saying when you say something in these genres. You've got to explain it. And that's why if you hear me say, no, I don't know what you're talking about, or please explain, don't look at me like, what is wrong with you? <laughs> no, I'm, I'm thinking, well, what is your thought on what that is? Because I've heard many. Interdimensional. I was kind of thinking that for a while there. Interdimensional. Everything's interdimensional. Maybe they are. I, I don't know. But I'm starting to think they might be underground. I really am. I don't know. I mean, you got to go with something and go down that road and see. Um, I wasn't planning on going down that road, but tonight we're going to find out. We're going to talk with Stefan Sindoni, and we're going to find out what he says about what he's found out. Now, before getting into that, I'm just basing all my stuff on what I've seen. I go out there and look. If you guys want to see these things, if you want to see things in the sky flying by, then look up. If you want to go see Bigfoot, Dogman, some of the other, you know, little people, micro people, all the other types of things that are out there, little fairies, different things like that, go out into the woods. Stay out there. It's usually after night three, <laughs> even though things do happen sooner or than they can. But uh, seems to be night three seems to be the way these things go. For the most part, I, I've had it happen all, all different times, but uh, you never know. Consistently, I would say the third night. So I was told not too long ago 
that they possibly, you know how you hear like the Sasquatch will throw things at you, rocks, boulders, big things will come your way, but they miss you because they know what they're doing. Well, they can also pick up these big rocks and boulders, move them out of the way, slide down something and put that boulder right back just like we would, or just like when you see an ant do it. Did you guys ever watch ants, or do you ever do that? I used to do that as a kid. I'd watch them build their little homes, and they'd take that little bitty ball of dirt. You know, this was in Kentucky dirt. So they'd make those little balls and make these mounds, and, and they would just perfectly place them where they wanted them. And you know they, you know how much more they can carry, right? Those little tiny things, amazing. So it's kind of like that, what I've been told and I think they're right on. Possibly, I think they're right. I think that's. I think that's good with Dogman as well as the Sasquatch. So that's when I started going wow, and thinking about this. Uh, by the way, not too long ago, saw David Politis and his premiere in Denver, and learned a whole lot more about where these missing 411 people are. So they all tie together. And keep in mind, that's what I'm about. I research it all and see how they thread together. Because especially after that last night in the Rockies, they knew each other. And whether they hung out, I don't know. But they all knew who each other was. So. So Stefan Sindoni. He's a researcher, a truth seeker. You've heard him here on Coast to Coast several times. And from an early age, he was an avid reader. He spent much of his time learning about American history and ancient civilizations and religions and Greek mythology. And, of course, he's got this quest to uncover ancient truths. And he came to a realization that we, he was an old soul living in a new embodiment. And we're going to hear about all these really cool things that he has discovered along the way and he has found out along the way. Why? Because he's actually went out and done it. Maybe he does research with books and different things like that too, but he goes out and does it. And that's what I suggest you guys do as well. When you have these questions, don't bombard us that have seen it and done it ourselves. Go out there yourselves. Go check it out. Come on. Come on. (laughs) Be brave. Let's make it happen. So Stefan has um, lots of different videos out there. He's a documentarian as well. Check out his videos. He's uh, got a lot of great things to look at and learn, and he's been all over the place. And one of the areas that I want him to really get into and teach me and teach you guys is underground. Is it a possibility? Again, hollow earth and maybe different civilizations. I don't know. Let, let's, let's, let's find out from him. So, Stefan, welcome to Coast to Coast. It was so great meeting you on the phone. We have so many similarities. And um, I'm looking forward to the stories you're telling us tonight. Well, I thank you, Connie, again, for having me on. I'll just give a quick little opening as to really who I am, a snapshot. Sure. I am Stefan Sindoni, longtime Hollow Earth researcher with a number of websites out there, Hollow Earth Exposed for one. And I am a seeker of truth, as you mentioned. In around 2007, I was first introduced to a book called The Smoky God, A Voyage to the Inner World. And it's a story about a father and son's account of their voyage into an inner world where they 
were received and rescued by giants who they spent two years with these inhabitants and visited the original Garden of Eden. Olaf uh, provided uh, maps and drawings to author Willis George Emerson on his deathbed. He waited until he was almost you know, dead before he shared this story. So The Smoky God is a voyage in the world in the book presented as a true account written by author Willis George Emerson in 1908. So this didn't happen that long ago. And it describes the adventures of Olaf Jansen, a Norwegian sailor who sailed with his father to an entrance in the north interior into the, the inner earth. And I was enthralled by, by the story. As a child, I remembered the reading about Jules Verne's novels, Journey to the Center of the Earth. <laughs> oh, yeah. And that piqued my interest, where I felt compelled after reading this story in the book. You know, I decided I was going to narrate it in 2011 and add it to one of my YouTube channels because I was really, you know, I was just mesmerized by it. And I said, you know, this is going somewhere. I don't know yet, but I want to go research it. So in 2014, <clears throat> I was contacted by a fellow Hollow Earth researcher whose name is Chris Baird, and he asked that I investigate the life of Norwegian sailor Olaf Jansen and to figure out if Olaf was a figment of author Willis George Emerson's imagination, or was he truly a man that went on his journey to the inner world. So with that information, I said, okay, I'm going to go into the library and do what I do and investigate the life of Olaf uh, Jansen. I had just recently done researching the life of uh, a Stockton mystery, the legend of J.C. Brown, and I was able to discover that the man of the legend was really by the name of John Benjamin Body of the Lord Cowdrey Mining Company, and he was the man for 90 years or so that the Stockton record was trying to figure out who was this man who shows up in 1934 talking about giants. So I was able to recently solve that. While I'm solving that, I was putting the Stockton Record newspaper about, you know, uh, that I solved that Chris had called me and said, can you do me a favor? He goes, I need you to do this. So I looked, at, you know, my friend who was there in the room, I says, you want me to do this? He says, yeah. He goes, because you have the ability. I just have a feeling that you're going to find out some things about this story. And plus you did the narration of it. And a couple of years after I did the narration, the audio books, uh, LibriVox, I believe it was, they actually did uh, the book as well. So there's like a couple of versions out there. But I initially was the one who put it out on YouTube for other people to pick up on it. And I'm glad that I did. And uh, this story is Olaf Jansen's personal account of his voice in a world, which got him locked up by his uncle Gustav Osterlin. And he was, who was a man of considerable wealth, but Olaf was incarcerated for 28 years for telling mm. the story about Ugh. what happened in his travels with his father in the inner earth. So Olaf, you know, while he's in prison for this 28 years now, he decides he's going to create maps, drawings, write his memoirs, and write his book. So at the age of 51, you know, in 1862, he's now released from, from this madhouse that he was in for 28 years, wrongfully, you know, committed. And he dared not say anything to anyone. So what he did was he waited his whole life till after he retired. He went out to work, doing what he knew what he did best. He was a sailor, a Norwegian sailor. He went back out for about five years, worked for someone, uh, Jans, Jansen. And then after that, for 22 years, he bought his own ships 
and he sailed all over the world, and he made a fortune. At the end of 22 years, he's now retired. He decides to sell all his boats and come to America, which he does, and he spends 12 years in Chicago area before moving on to Los Angeles in 1902. In 1908, he decides uh, he's going to tell his deathbed story, and he, he meets a man by the name of George, uh, Willis George Emerson, who befriends him, in around the year, uh, was it 1906, and they become friends. And then within a couple of months later, he gets a phone call by messenger. Actually, a messenger comes and gives him a note and saying, "I'm dying. You need to come here now. You need to hear my story." So, Emerson, Willis George Emerson, goes to the home of Olaf Jansen to hear his deathbed confession. And before you go any further, we'll be right back to tell you that information. I love the fact that. His name was Willis. Yeah, you all caught that, right? Everybody, you're listening to Coast to Coast AM. Connie Willis here talking with Stefan Sindoni. Stay with us. This is going to be fantastic stuff tonight. Welcome back to Coast to Coast AM. Hi, everybody. I'm Connie Willis. Hope you're having a good evening. Good morning. We're talking with Stefan Sindoni, and Stefan was getting right to the climax, right to the final part of his story. So, Stefan, I'm just going to let you step on in and go at it and catch us back up where we were. Okay, well, uh, the year is 1907, and uh, author Willis George Emerson meets uh, Olaf Jansen in uh, California and becomes friends with him and... uh, gets summoned uh, a couple months later to the house of uh, Olaf Jansen to hear his deathbed confession about what really happened. And when he was summoned to the home, uh, he uh, was told by uh, Olaf that people need to know the truth. And this was Olaf's dying wish, and he would give him all the maps and drawings that he did uh, throughout the time he was incarcerated to share with the world what he learned on his voyage. And he was very, very concerned that it wouldn't be put out until he died because he said, I spent 28 years in prison in irons, and I know this won't happen to you, author Willis George Emerson, but I don't want it to happen to me again because here I am for sharing my story with uh, the uh, ship Mm. captain, Angus McPherson, from the whaling ship. He immediately put me in irons and uh, kept me in irons until I got all the way back to uh, uh, Norway, or Sweden, where I came from, uh, Stockholm. And uh, when I told my family and my uncles w- what happened and where I was, I had a rich uncle uh, named uh, Gustav Osterlin. And initially, his uncle was, you know, happy to hear his stories. And he took him to some officials, and I'm sure Olaf showed some of the drawings and maps that he had. And not long after, his uncle Gustav had him committed to a madhouse for 28 long years. Mm. Isn't that something? And you know, you know that later we're talking with Dr. Hasseltine that's going to uh, talk about how you cope with when you see these things and how you cope with how other people react. So it's amazing. Uh, you had pointed that out to me as well. That's amazing that that is threaded in like that. So. Because you think about it, because what he told the uh, the author is that in, not only with his drawings of the inner earth, the map, he has maps of the inner world, and he said the world's geography is incomplete, and the true home of Apollo is in the inner world and where the Hyperboreans Hop- lived. So all these stories of antiquity mm. may not be myths or legends. They may be actual truths. Mm-hmm. And uh, when I tell you, when we get to why I, I'm making this uh, 
uh, statement now, you realize that something happened very sinister in our country's history, and I'm going to bring it to light, and why Columbus's name should not be the name that we remember for discovering America. All of Jansen's name should be known for discovering the inner world, and this is what my hope is going to be, because once I share with you what happened to suppress this man's information, think about it. Today, in real world today, you see something, tragic event, you know, a false flag event, let's just say, I'll just throw it out there, and next thing you know, you're discredited, and you're put behind bars. And you know what people believe. They believe whatever newspapers print or what they tell them. So here's a man who doesn't want to go back to confinement, and he's not going to have this story come out until he closes his eyes for the long sleep. So when I'm reading this and watching, and you know, watching this unfold, I'm saying, okay, what does a writer need? He needs solitude to write. If you're going to write a book, you better be able to have the peace of mind to do it. A lot of good books are written in prison. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> you're right. It's just, you know, the funny thing is, is that you have all the time in the world, yet you don't have the time to do what you have to do. But Olaf said, no, you, you might have knocked me down. But, you know, I'm like the weeble that wobbles. I'm going to get right back up. So when I'm reading this story, I says, wow, why do I feel so resonated with this man? What is it? And then I realized that by me taking on this story tonight, I am divinely directed and creatively connected. Because when I weave this all together masterfully, everybody listening is going to say, Stefan's got the goods. And we Bring want to it on. Why. And Bring I'm it on. When we get there, why? Now, we talked about Olaf. One of the things I want to do right now, if I can, Connie, sure. I need to establish the timeline for all this. Because a lot of people listening, and they Absolutely. probably haven't watched The Smoky God or, or even watched uh, My Smoky God Revealed, Revisited, for my, uh, my research to see what I determined upon reading the book and going into the library and actually rolling up my sleeves for a number of years to figure out, is it fact or is it fiction? So... If I can briefly go into who Olaf Jansen was, this will help the audience there to understand really what I'm talking about and the significance of why I'm, I'm uh, making this point. Olaf was born on October 27th of 1811 on a fishing voyage. His mother and father were fishing, and he was born in a country called Uleborg. They put the, uh, the party boat to shore, and his mother gave birth to him in a Russian country. So there was no birth certificate for him, but he was born on a fishing trip that the parents had gone to. They were fishing in the, the Lafayette Islands, which is where Olaf was from. So this is something that when he was born, and then he, uh, at age 14, he started going out with his father, Jans Jansen, on fishing trips. And some of the trips they would go to, they'd go to Lofton Islands, and they would fish there, and uh, they, were, they were merchant seamen, they were fishermen. But one day, and this was in uh, the, uh, the year uh, 1929, April 3rd, Olaf's life changed. His father set out for a fishing trip, but as they went on this fishing trip, they decided they were going to go a little further than they normally went. And they ended up going through uh, an inner world passage after going through some rocky waters and noticing conditions had changed. The weather was getting warmer. It wasn't getting colder the further north that they went. And they were perplexed by this. Going through this opening, they ended up just drifting along. And what they saw was uh, um, 
penguins nine feet tall. They saw uh, that were like three times the size on the outside. They saw uh, Tyrannosaurus rex and all these animals that were supposedly extinct, living on the inside and thriving. They mm. then went further, and uh, they were picked up, believe it or not, by an excursion party boat. Now, this is in 1829. There was no excursion party boats in America or in the world at that time. That didn't happen until the Bronze Age, until the shipbuilding took place. So here, the father and son are looking at this excursion line, or probably looked like one of the ones, uh, the carnival or something like that. And the ship came over, <clears throat> and what they did is they rescued Olaf and his father. They had some sort of a, cane, a crane conveyance that took this little sloop up the boat they were in and brought it on the ship. Olaf and his father were, like, surprised to see that the men who picked them up were giants. They were 12 feet in height. Wow. So now... One of them ended up speaking English. His name was Jules Galadier. And he took Olaf and his father under his wing, and he took them all over their inner world, and they even met with a high priest or the king of the inner world <clears throat> and explained how they got there. And uh, they were welcomed, and they asked them, you know, what is it they wanted to do? And they said, well, we want to stay here with you for a while. And they did. They stayed there a couple of years, and they went to cities like... Believe it or not, the Garden of Eden. Wow. The The real deal. Was in the center of the earth. Now, another interesting thing is there's four rivers there. And if I mention the name of the rivers, it'll blow you away. One is uh, the Euphrates, the the, Mm. uh, the Gibbon. Another one was uh, the, uh, there's two others here. But there's four rivers here. And what was interesting, though, is that. They are in the Garden of Eden, and they get to see exactly what the world was supposed to be. And they're told that the inner world was where everything began. And then uh, Noah, you know, the story of Adam and Eve about leaving the garden, was Mm -hmm. going to go to the outer world. They were doomed. They were, like, punished to send them out into the world that we live in on, on the outside, on the surface. So you, you, you listen to this, and you look, oh, wait a minute, you know, there's all these Bibles, all these versions, all these stories. Wait a minute, there is some truth somewhere here. The truth lies somewhere in the middle. Or maybe this man has it all figured out. So here it is, I'm looking at this, and I'm saying, okay, so what are some of his other discoveries? He says that the center of gravity is not at the North Pole. It's 150 miles below the surface. And that's why all these other explorers couldn't find the pole. And he cites some of their names, and he could have only done this one. He was incarcerated in confinement where they would give him books and everything. So he was following what was going on with the inner earth. And he says, no, I beg to differ with you in his stories. No, there is no fixed North Pole. It's 150 miles below the surface. And from inside to to outside, it's 300 miles surface. So when you get halfway down, you get to zero point. And there, as I mentioned, there were four rivers, Euphrates, the Pisan, the Gehan, and the Hedekel. And some of them are biblical. And what he claimed, that some of these explorers claimed, <coughs> excuse me, that was in the book, was that when they got to the North Pole area, above the 60-degree uh, latitude there, they said there were open water seas, and it was warm air there. So here they were. They were finding things that were not normal in that area. So the open sea revealed to me that 
Why? Well, I, through my research, I found out the deepest waters in the world are there in Baffin Bay, which is near Greenland. There are also the strongest currents there and the strongest winds. So this would explain why no one's able to venture in over there, because those conditions would make it very difficult without the right sort of uh, ship to, you know, to, to traverse those waters. So that's another thing why this secret has been kept so long. Also, you've got the Russians and the United States, and they want to keep the secret. They don't want you to know that in Siberia, every other day, tusks are, are, are floating onto the Siberian waters that are from prehistoric or different things that were you know, washed out of that inner earth coming and landing on the Siberian uh, waterfront there. So there are some interesting things here that have been discovered by that. So when I look at this book, The Smoky God or a Voyage, a Journey to the Inner Earth, I realize that the world's geography has got to be incomplete because if, this, if what this man is saying is correct, then he shouldn't be put in irons. He should be given like a, uh, you know, a Pulitzer Prize or uh, you know, uh, a Nobel Prize for you know, the things that happened to him, you know, wrongfully accused and put in jail. Now, I can tell you the timeline now is that after <clears throat> Olaf and his father were rescued on his ship, and this is 1829, they're taken, they see all these places, and after about two years, the father gets homesick and he wants to go home. So they, they, they meet again with the, the king of the world there, or the, the high priest there, and they told him of their wishes. And they said, well, we don't think you're going to be able to go back the way you came because of the waters and because you'll be going in the wrong direction. But we'll give you your boat back and let you guys go. And they gave them gold and they gave them things to prove that they were in this inner world because they really you know, cared about Olaf and his father. Now, Olaf's father stood six foot six. So you can imagine how small he looked in front of these the giants who were 12 to 14 feet tall. Mm-hmm. So this is interesting. And the Bible talks about giants as well. And I yeah, do a lot of research yeah. about giants. So you look at this, okay, show me the proof. Where is the proof? What do you have? Okay, so here's where we get to that. So Olaf now, him and his father decide they want to come back. And they try to go back the way that they came, you know, through the north with a passage opening. But they couldn't because it took them three months to try to go nowhere. So they decided they were going to go south. Now, the rivers I mentioned run north and south, and they run to the pole openings or the aperture in the south pole. So they decided they were going to try to traverse the south pole. So they do. When they get to the south pole opening, they find conditions are very difficult, and the father and son are in a storm there on the, uh, the South Sea, I believe, there in uh, Antarctica. And the father gets knocked off the sloop, and he ends up getting lost at sea. The son mm. tries to save his father, but he can't. So now he's left on an iceberg, right? Just him and the iceberg. His father's dead, and, like, it's freezing. Like, what do I do? I've got no food. I've got nothing. My sloop, my boat is just, you know, capsized. You know, woe is me. Luckily for him, a ship, the Arlington, a uh, Scottish whaling ship was, saw him on the iceberg. They came over, and they picked him up. Could you so, imagine? I mean, come on. There's something to that. That's yeah. like, come on. 
Well, this gets better, Connie, because they pick him up. Angus McPherson, wow. now he is the ship captain, right? right? And his job is whaling, his commerce. That's what he does. And he asked Olaf, he goes, well, how did you get out here? You know, on this iceberg, there's nobody around. You know, you're in the end of the earth, yeah? So Olaf tells them the true story about what happened to him and his father. So they says, all right, you know, put your hands behind your back. What are you talking about? Oh. <laughs> so they, the captain, Angus McPherson, thought he was crazier than a bed bug, and he says, you're going to be confined for this whole trip until we get you back home to Norway. You know, unless you change his story, he goes, I'm not taking the handcuffs off. <laughs> so it was because he thought he was nutty. It wasn't because he knew something he didn't want uh, to get out there. Yeah, I think it was because he thought he was uh, crazy as a bed bug. I mean, oh. that sort of a story, you, you know, if if it's not your perception, you know, you may not want to believe it, especially if it, you know, it's, it's this magnitude. And... Uh, Olaf's quote, and I'll quote him now in the book, he says, the truth is stranger than fiction. Mm-hmm. So Olaf mm-hmm. knew that after he told the story to the ship's captain, <clears throat> he was going to have a hard time getting back to his country. So he gets back four years and eight months from the day that he and his father left. And here it is almost five years later, and he finds out his family is dead, and his property has been sold, and uh, he comes home. He finds And we want to hear... And we want to hear that when we come back. And don't want to miss a thing. This is great. I tell you what, I love the story. Stefan is awesome at telling it, too. And, um, man, I can't wait to get to all the questions I have, too, about what's going on in that inner world, what it looks like, how they got there, how you get in and out. And even though I told a little bit of that, I've got some deeper questions. So stay with us, you guys. You're listening to Coast to Coast AM. I'm Connie Willis, and we've got Stefan Moore with all. Uh, 